he, that is, Jesus Christ, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before your word. Speak to us powerfully through the Holy Spirit. For we need the work of the Spirit if we are to understand anything of your word. We ask your favor and grace now, through Christ's name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the vital lessons we learn growing up in this world is a two uh, two-word phrase, one's a contraction, so you could say it's three words. That's life, right? That's life. That's the, the way that the world is. And growing up as, as a young child, maybe you think that that's not the way it always should be. And you hear your parents say, well, that's life, just the way it is. Sometimes you scrape your knee. Sometimes things don't go the way that you planned or the way that you thought. You don't always get the exact thing that you want on birthday or Christmas. These are vital lessons for us to learn. Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ teaches his apostles, his disciples here, 
one of those kinds of lessons. This is the, the way that the world is. And they're still grasping at, at how they are to understand this secret, this mystery of the kingdom that Jesus is making known to them. That this is the way that the kingdom relates to the world. Now that the kingdom is here, why are the evil ones not being judged? Why is Jesus not restoring the kingdom of Israel uh, to its former glory or even, or even uh, beyond its former glory? So he gives the disciples a couple of lessons in, in that very point tonight, and in doing so, he teaches us as well. The restlessness, perhaps the, the frustration that the apostles are experiencing. Here we we, we believe that this Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the, the anointed one. So, so when are things going to kind of get going in, in terms of what we, what we expected? All those frustrations, the waiting, it can relate and be connected in many ways to the kinds of restlessness, the kinds of fears, the kinds of worries, the concerns that we have in our life. Oftentimes, we struggle to hold this truth in our mind. Yes, Jesus Christ is King of kings. He's in control of all things, and yet things don't go our way, and we struggle to hold on to our faith in a, in a firm way. We struggle to continue to give Him all that we want. So, we must learn and remember tonight, using these few parables and the words of Jesus we must be reminded and learn about the relationship of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and this world. And in doing so, we are called to, to rest in the God who is in control of it all. So first, understanding our world. Understanding our world. Then secondly, understanding the world and the kingdom. And then finally, living in the world and the kingdom. So first, understanding our world. This is the, the, the bottom line of, of this passage, and particularly the, the parab the, these parables. These parables teach that until the coming of Christ, we will live among both the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the devil. These will not be separated until the final judgment, as seen with various passages that depict that day for instance, Matthew 25, the separating of the sheep and the goats, it happens when the Son of Man comes in His glory. This is a parable that tells us something about the world, the world in which we live. It's not a parable that aims uh, narrowly at the church. Many people have taken this parable to be a parable of the church. Jesus says very clearly, the field is the world. And so it is true that the church is a, a mixed body, there are true children of God in the church, and also, as we know, there are false professors as well. But if we take this parable dealing only with the church or narrowly with the church, we can get some pretty bad ideas about how we should do things like church discipline. So that's not what Jesus is trying to teach us here. He's teaching us about the world and the relationship of the kingdom of God and the world. Now, this parable, the parable of the weeds, comes on the heels of the parable of the sower, and in many ways it feels like an expansion, doesn't it? Kind of zooming in uh, on that part of the field or the, 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 those places in the field where good seed finds good soil and things grow. And so is, this is making a different point. It's not making a contrary point to the, the parable of the sower. It's making a further point of the kinds of things, the kind of world that Christians can expect. 
What does the parable say? A sower sows good seed in his field. All is well. But in the night, an enemy comes and sows bad seed. He sows weeds among the wheat. I was reading one of the commentaries uh, on these parables in Simon Kistemacher's commentary. He had uh, an uncle who bought a farm in western Canada. And right before his uncle had purchased the farm, uh, the previous owner had a, a, a local farmer rival who actually had done this. He had sowed daisies in uh, this farmland, all throughout this farmland. It took his uncle decades to sort of no longer be dealing with the issue at all. So this is a very serious thing that a farmer would do uh, against another farmer. So the crisis is then realized when both the wheat and the weeds come up. It's not something that the farmer immediately sees or the sower immediately notices. He only can notice after it's too late. The weed pops up, the weeds pop up, and the wheat pops up at the same time. So that's the crisis. There are weeds sown among the wheat. His workers say, what do you want us to do? The resolution seems to us almost like no resolution. The sower says, don't do anything. Wait. There's no confrontation with the, with the evil farmer, but just waiting. If you tear up the weeds, you put the wheat at risk. At this, at this point, the damage has already been done. There's not much that he can do. But notice how the sower, the farmer, turns the disadvantage into an advantage. He says at harvest time, we will use the weeds, gather them up, and use them as fuel for the fire. We don't want to get too ahead of ourselves in in applying this, but this is really a picture of what happens to the wicked at the last day. God will be glorified both in the salvation of sinners, in the salvation of His people, and also in the judgment and condemnation of the wicked. God will be glorified in it all, and He will bring all of human history to the greatest result of his glory. It's a picture of what you see here in this parable. The farmer, the sower, knows what to do. Yes, this crisis has been presented to him, but he knows uh, how to handle it. He makes it count uh, for his own benefit. So how about the explanation of the parable? Jesus gives a startlingly concise and clear explanation of this parable, doesn't he? It's almost like a glossary. He tells us that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ Himself, He is the sower. We mentioned last week of the sovereign king who builds His kingdom. Right? He is the sower, the one who sows the seed. So even as the word of the gospel goes forth in our day, as those are commissioned to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the word, what we are proclaiming is the word of Jesus Christ. And the kingdom building is what happens by the Spirit of Christ. Jesus is still the sower. The field is the world, Jesus says very clearly. Not the church. Jesus is absolutely clear on that point. The wheat and the weeds, the sons of, the king, of Christ's kingdom and the sons of the devil. These are the, this is the ultimate status of the two groups of people who live in this world. Outside of Christ or in Christ. But that is ultimate status, and you need to keep that in mind. Right? We think of children being raised in the faith, in the church, and we pray and confidently expect that one day they will profess their faith in Jesus Christ. 
On the other hand, there are those who look nothing like the people of God now, but who will one day. They will convert to the faith, and God will open their eyes through the gospel. There will be those that we don't expect of this of them, but they will sadly leave the church one day. So these two groups, the wheat and the weeds, it's speaking of ultimate status. It's not something you perfectly see with, our, with your eyes, but it's relative to the sovereign work of God, the, the invisible work of God. The enemy who sows the weeds is the devil, the one who stands opposed to all the works of God. Now why, why would the evil farmer, why would the devil do this? All that he does is an attempt to thwart God's work in the world, isn't it? And we need to be aware of this. Satan seeks to increase evil on the earth. Why? So that God's people would be discouraged, so that we would be discouraged about the way things are, so that we would feel like perhaps things aren't as much in God's control as they really are. He seeks to thwart the work of God and seeks to increase evil on the earth so that others would be blinded to the truth of God. The word for weeds here is actually the word for a poisonous plant. And that's what evil does. Evil poisons the mind. It poisons the mind of those inside the church and those outside of the church. You've ever had poison ivy? Kids, have you ever had poison ivy? What happens when you have poison ivy? You can't think of anything else. It, it takes up all of, your, all of your attention. All you want to do is scratch where it's itching. Satan seeks to thwart the work of God by increasing evil on the earth, in, and in so doing seeks to distract God's people, to discourage God's people, and to blind unbelievers. Think about the most common objection to believing in Jesus Christ, to believing in the God of the Bible. If you've ever dialogued with people about the faith or even watched videos uh, where people are being evangelized, that you know, they share the gospel with people, what's the most common objection? People will say, well, I can't believe in the God of the Bible because there is so much evil in the world. How can there be a good God who is sovereign and in control when there is so much evil in the world? Now, if you take that question apart, it's actually a question that doesn't make any sense. If you want to posit that there is evil in the world, then you're saying that there's something that defines, that defines the standard between good and evil. Ultimately, that question itself leads you back to the God who is himself goodness and righteousness and the standard of all of our moral judgments. But because there is so much evil in the world, people are blinded and don't want to face the truth of who the God of Scripture is. That is why Satan does it. He's seeking to thwart the work of God. He's seeking to discourage God's people. He's seeking to blind others from the truth of God and His Word. We read that the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. And so what all of this means for our world is something fundamental to understand about the world in which we live. It's it's a that's life kind of moment, and it means this. Both the kingdom of Christ and the influence and work of Satan will increase and grow until Jesus comes again in glory. There will be no time when either all evil or all of God's people will be wiped out. We are to know this. 
We are to expect it not to change. This is how it will be until Jesus Christ comes again. So we're called with an initial understanding to look what? what? What is it that makes all of this right? What is it that will rectify the wheat and the weeds in the same field? The judgment of God, the return of Jesus Christ. That is central to our faith. It's central to the life of the church that we constantly keep our eyes on the return of Jesus Christ. We read in Zephaniah, it's a day of wrath and a day of vengeance, but we also read, particularly in the New Testament, a place like 1 John chapter 2 talks about this, it's a day that, to which we look forward. It's a day to which we look in confidence And it will be a day of joy and great celebration to see our Savior come again. And it all comes down to whether we are wheat or weeds. But because of that, Jesus says, this is how the world is. This is how it's going to be, expected to be that way. We must hold in our hearts the return of Christ. We must look forward to that day and understand that that is when these things will be rectified. That's when the Lord's plan, that is when the Lord will eradicate all evil from the face of this world. Now, thankfully, the Lord gives us many means and many institutions uh, to keep evil at bay, to to punish wrongdoers. But as the church, we, we expect that Satan's work, that he will be active in the world. The weeds will grow even as the kingdom grows. So then we understand, uh, we have to understand, secondly, the the relationship of the kingdom and our world. The the short parables that Jesus gives to us here in this passage, the mustard seed and the leaven, teach us about this mystery of the kingdom that Jesus has come to proclaim. This is the problem with the disciples. They're saying, well, you are the Messiah, you are here, to, uh, to, to come and, and, and claim your kingship, your throne. And so why is judgment being delayed? This is really their, their big question. Jesus, you're the Messiah, but, but you're delaying judgment. How do we understand that? And this not only is these short parables, but also in 34 and 35, verses 34 and 35, we have this, this reference to, to Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So something new that Jesus teaches his followers here, and with all of these kingdom parables, he's, he's laying out, he's revealing to them this mystery of the kingdom, that yes, the Messiah is here. Yes, the kingdom has come. Yes, it is present because He is present, right? If you want to know about the kingdom, keep your eyes on the King. So yes, the kingdom has come, and yes, the kingdom is here, but no, evil will not be eradicated from the earth now. And how does that work? It works because of the mustard seed and the leaven, that the kingdom grows mysteriously, The kingdom grows in ways that go far beyond what you would expect it from at the beginning, just like the mustard seed. The mustard seed, it is a small, it is a tiny seed, but what does it ultimately produce? A plant that grows dominant in the garden. Leaven, what happens with leaven? Well, just a little bit of leaven works its way through the entire lump of dough. And so what it is telling us 
is that the kingdom becomes something or produces an effect that seems to the naked eye well beyond what one would expect at the beginning. And so, yes, Jesus' ministry is is different than expected. His coming and His bringing the kingdom is different than they expected, but Jesus tells them this is how it works. The kingdom will grow in mysterious ways, but it will grow in a way that will go far beyond what you would have expected at the start. That's the beauty of the kingdom and the mystery of the kingdom. So yes, he teaches them. He gives them that great lesson. This is the way the world and the kingdom work. And yes, judgment will be delayed, but the kingdom grows in ways that go beyond our expectations. And so that will then shape our expectations for the relationship of the kingdom of heaven and the world. They exist side by side, don't they? They will do so until Christ comes again. Good will not swallow evil up, and evil will not swallow good up before Jesus comes again. Perhaps most importantly, this means that the world will never be totally free of evil until Jesus comes back. In my own consideration of this passage, this seems to suggest that both the wheat and the weeds grow until that last day, that they're they're being strengthened, that they're both being strengthened and gaining strength. So I believe that this this parable strongly inveighs against any thoughts of a golden age before Christ comes back. There are many people who hold that position. I believe this parable inveighs against it, that the wheat and the weeds grow in strength until Christ comes again. Their mutual strength, uh, the kingdom of God and the evil of this world, will both grow and and become almost intolerable and usher in the end of all things. It seems to be the rhythm that the book of Revelation gives to us, that there, there is this pregnancy to this current age, that good will increase, the kingdom of Christ will grow, the gospel will reach all the nations, and also the work of Satan will continue to increase and create this situation where it ushers in the end of all things. This also means, sadly, that if the world will never be free of evil, then the church will never never be free of evil either. And so with that, we make just two quick applications to that one point. The first is this, is that we need to be patient with our brothers and sisters when they stumble and sin against us. We can't be filled with with any expectation that the world will be free of evil, and even in our own hearts there will be nothing evil, no indwelling sin. And so we need to be patient when our brothers and sisters stumble and sin against us, and we need to be eager to forgive. And also thinking about that in in even a, a further sense, we cannot put our hope in man. We cannot put our hope in in man. When someone falls from the faith and we are tempted to become completely miserable, we must remember the words of Jesus and the kinds of expectations we are to have because of them. And so how do we live? How do we live in the kingdom and the world as we think about uh, these parables and this passage from Jesus? Well, first this, as the church, we must care for the wheat. We must care for the wheat. That's sort of underneath uh, the, the, the parable that they continue to, to cultivate the wheat, that it might grow and that there might be something uh, to have at the harvest. The wheat must be cared for. It must be cultivated. 
In other words, the church, Christians, cannot allow the evil of this world to discourage us from heeding our marching orders. We cannot allow the evil in the world to, uh, to, to, to make us stop doing what Jesus has told us to do. We must preach. We must evangelize. We must disciple. We must worship. We must love one another. We must reach out with the love of Christ. In all kinds of times in the history of the church where things have looked very dire, much more dire than they do for us today, as we sit in a temperature-controlled building in a free nation, the freest nation in the history of the world. There have been times when things look very dire. The church must continue to do its work. The church must preach, proclaim, disciple, and worship, even in the midst of great evil, even in the midst of great challenge and trial. If this world gets us down, we must remember that it is exactly as God wants it to be. So we care for the wheat. We care for the wheat. We don't disregard the field because the weeds are there. The workers still cared and cultivated for the wheat until harvest time. Secondly, this, we must be salt in ways which accord with these parables. We must be salt and light in the world in ways that make sense with Jesus' words. We are waiting. We are waiting for the end of the age. We are awaiting the return of our Savior, but we must seek ways to be salt and light. Some people have taken the parable of the leaven to kind of be this picture of Christianizing the world. And I don't believe that's the point of of Jesus, but we'll say this, that the church does have a mysterious influence in the world, and the circumstances of our world are certainly different because of the presence of Christians. So we have to understand how all of these things work together. But Christians need to seek to be an influence in the public square. We need to seek to be salt and light in this world, adding things to this world that would not be there otherwise. Can you imagine how dire the political world, the political landscape would be throughout the world if Christians all universally said we cannot be involved? in politics. So we give thanks when God calls people to that line of uh, that calling in life. Give thanks when God calls people to, to various walks of life, to go there and be salt and light, to have this mysterious influence in the world. And certainly we, we know the Christian faith has changed the world a few times over. And so we must seek to be salt and light in ways which accord with Jesus' words. And then finally, as we close tonight, we'd like to just think about living in this world that Jesus tells us about in light of two of God's perfections, two of, two of God's attributes. Return to the, that, that first point that we opened with, that the restlessness, uh, the anxiety, the worry that the apostles were feeling because there was this delay of judgment. Things aren't going the way we thought they would when the Messiah comes. We believe you're the Messiah. Why are things not exactly as we expected? Jesus had to come and reveal this mystery of the kingdom. And that oftentimes is the kinds of issues that we confront in our lives. Things aren't the way I want them to be. How do we still hold on to the promise of the kingdom? 
How do we still hold on to our good God who, who loves us? Well, here are two things that you can meditate on that will help you in that way. Two perfections, two attributes of God that are really quite connected. First, God is eternal and God is unchangeable. So first, God is eternal. When we consider God's eternity, we are often brought to the reality of judgment. And that's where Jesus Christ brings us in this parable, doesn't he? Or in this passage, when he's explaining the parable of the weeds, he speaks a lot of, of judgment. We believe in the reality of judgment because it is the eternal God who will render to all men on that last day. He holds eternity in his hands. And so when the eternal God speaks of the eternal judgment, we know that he is telling the truth. He has the power of eternity in his hands. And that causes us to think of our own place in the judgment. And here Jesus points out the the, the misery of those who are on the wrong side of the ledger on that day. He describes it as being thrown into the fire. And hell is described this way elsewhere by Jesus. Mark 9, Jesus says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. We also read in Revelation 20, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The reason we need to take these things very seriously is because Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who is teaching us about these things. And so when we come in the Word of God to the reality of judgment, when we come in the Word of God to the miseries of hell, we hold those things and we say, they're not easy things to think about, but we take them seriously because we know that Jesus is telling the truth, and He is the one, the eternal one, who holds the power of eternity in His hands. But we also think of something else in regards to the eternity of of God and judgment. As we we saw in hell, in hell, despair can only increase. That's one of the, the, the great miseries about it, what makes it so miserable. The despair of people who are in hell will only increase as time goes on. But we also remember this, that for those who know the Lord God in and through Jesus Christ, that their joy will only increase as time goes on. Here you have Jesus bring us that great contrast in this passage. He says, The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. What their experience will be is eternal and unending and increasing joy. So it causes us to ask those things, beloved, tonight. When we consider the eternity of God and think about the weightiness of judgment, have we joined ourselves to the one who gives us Uh, who gives himself uh, for us and for our salvation. The one who says these words is the one to whom uh, and in whom we must trust. And then finally, 
God's unchange, His unchangeableness, His immutability. If God is eternal, then He never changes. And He never changes because He's eternal. These two things go together. But we apply it to our consideration tonight in this way. Because when we think about particularly the evil in this world, and the fact that the wheat and the weeds exist in the same field. And oftentimes we can get discouraged about that. And what is it that is particularly underneath the surface of our discouragement? When we get discouraged about those things, it's because we're saying God's purposes might not come to be fulfilled because of circumstance A, B, or C. Things seem to be off track. But when we think about the fact that God never changes and never will change, then we must always believe that as we're struggling to see His purposes, that nothing takes Him by surprise. That nothing catches Him off guard. Nothing has Him in a position where He says, well, now I need to change what I've been doing. He's the unchangeable God. He never changes. He's eternal. He is never taken by surprise. And so when we are restless, when we are filled with worry, when we're confronted with the evil in the world, when we think about the evil in the world, remember that Jesus said, this is the way it'll be until I come again. And remember the one who says, this is the way it will be, is the one who is himself eternal, who calls us to himself that we may with him shine like the sun in his kingdom forever, that our joy will never decrease, it will only increase that he is the one who, who also will be glorified in the judgment of sinners. But then also that he is the one who never changes. And so when we're confronted with things that make us say, it seems like God is not in control. It seems like evil is everywhere around me. It seems like things are spinning out of control. The one who is in control is the one who has never changed and will never change. So we consider tonight his, his eternality, he's the eternal God, and he's the God who never changes. And if we can think about those two perfections of God and hold them in our hearts, then we will have a lot to fight with when we are confronted with the restlessness, the anxiety, and the worry that comes from considering the fact that we live in an often sad and an often evil world. So may we hear the words of our Lord tonight, may we rest in them, may we learn from them, and may we live in light of them. Let's pray.